This week on Myths and Legends, it's the third and final part of our Viking miniseries about Guthrun. And we'll see how, if you're looking for a fun prank to play on your friends, just remove all the bathrooms from their house when they have company. And that murder makes a terrible wedding gift. Then, on the Creature of the Week, it's a two-headed doggo who makes us question what a monster even is. Or what defines a hero when, spoiler, heroes get to go around killing good pups who are just trying to do their job. This is Myths and Legends, episode 209C, Black Widow. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the show, we met Guthrun, an Icelandic woman fated to survive four pretty terrible marriages. We followed her through her divorce of the first, loss of the second, and meeting of her third. We also met Kjartan and Bali, son and foster son, respectively, of local chieftain Olaf Peacock. Both boys became best friends with Guthrun, and for a time, we watched the budding romance between Guthrun and Kjartan. But that love was put on hold, as Kjartan and Bali jumped on the opportunity to go exploring and do a little trading. Unfortunately, the whole crew ran into trouble in Norway on account of the newly Christian King Olaf, and together, the travelers remained captive for a year and a half until they converted to Christianity. Bali tasted freedom first, allowing him a full winter in Iceland before Kjartan also returned. But when the man finally did return, he found that, in his absence, Guthrun had married Bali. Today, let's start by jumping back a few months and see how Guthrun went from melancholy to matrimony. Guthrun shook her head and took Bali's hand. Even with talk of Kjartan courting some foreign princess, she couldn't, because that was all it was. Talk. As long as Kjartan lived, she would wait for him, despite her last words to him conveying the exact opposite, of course. She remembered what she had told him before she left, but she would always wait for him. She would always love him. Bali hung his head, shoulders sagging, then, full of hope, he squeezed her hands. Still friends? Guthrun embraced Bali. Always. The man got up to leave, but paused at the door. You know, if it was important enough, if you were important enough to him, he could have given me a message to send back to you. You might sit alone here for years, waiting for a man who will never give you another thought. Unlike you, I won't wait. Then he left, without so much as a backwards glance. You really think this is a good idea, Bali heard from his foster father, Olaf Peacock, later on that week. Olaf paused, staring at Bali's unchanged face. I'm being rhetorical, you know. This isn't a good idea. This is a certifiably terrible idea, and I want nothing to do with it. You know Kjartan and Guthrun? They're like Ross and Rachel, Jim and Pam. They're meant to be together. But Olaf trailed off. He, too, had heard reports of Kjartan and that foreign princess. <sighs> Look, okay, if Bali wanted to pursue a marriage with Guthrun, 
then Olaf wouldn't stand in his way. So long as Bali got approval from Osvif, Guthrun's father. I always thought it would be Kjartan, Osvif said, when Bali spoke to him later on that day. Bali nodded. Yeah, they kind of all did. He was really tired of hearing that, actually. But that's not how it worked out. Kjartan was spending years off with some foreign princess. Osvif shrugged. No matter how he looked at the situation, it didn't look promising. Sure, he said. He always did like Bali. Bali's eyes widened. But it was that easy? He could marry Guthrun? Osvif raised a brow. Uh, what? No. No, no, no. Guthrun was a widow, he explained. She had the agency to decide for herself. But for what it was worth, Osvif would throw in his support. And you support this? Guthrun asked later on having been called to meet her father, alone. Osvif shared openly he didn't see what the problem was. Kjartan was marrying someone else, probably, and Bali was a very nice silver medal. Good kid, great family, ton of money, go for it. You know, I tried to discourage him by giving him a clear and unequivocal no. Guthrun started pacing. Breaking the silence, Osvif said that if she refused a man like Bali, from a family like his, then people might start to talk about her being reckless, like she was too good for anyone. Osvif sat back, arms crossed. He wasn't telling her what to do, he couldn't tell her what to do, but it didn't take a sorcerer to see that the ship had sailed with Kjartan, kind of literally, and she had children to think about. Bali was a good man, a kind man, who, if she didn't already love more than a friend, she might learn to. Osvif rose, once again, he couldn't tell her what to do, but he had a lifetime of experience, so he hoped she would listen to his words. After a long night, Guthrun sent word to Bali. She accepted his proposal. So, you're not mad, Kjartan's brother-in-law said to him on the day of his return. Kjartan's sister was talking to one of his shipmates, Kaf, whose daughter, Hrefna, was going through the treasure. Why would I be mad? Kjartan said. His best friends were married. The only thing he was sad about was that he hadn't been there for their big day. You're seriously okay with this? Kjartan's brother-in-law said again, stunned. Seriously? Seriously, Kjartan said, turning at the click of a chest. Kaf whispered to his sister, who was winding the headdress around her head. He told her to knock it off. The treasure on the ship was to be split among them, everything except for that. That was given to Kjartan by the princess herself. It's for my bride. Well, my future bride, Kjartan said, turning with a smile to study the young woman on board. With a smirk, he walked up to her. How would you like to have it? So, you're engaged now, Bali said. And you're married, it would seem, Kjartan said to his foster brother, mid-embrace. He turned and hugged the shocked Guthrun as well. Refna nodded to everyone. Kjartan waved to someone off deeper in the room. His father was throwing a feast, and it was his first night back. There were a lot of people to greet. Bali, Guthrun, 
Gerton said. Always a pleasure. Then, he and his beautiful fiance wove their way deeper into the hall. Bali and Guthrum were left standing there. Silent. It seems like things were quite a bit different than we were all led to believe, she said. To no one in particular, before her face erupted into a smile, Guthrun waved to a young woman and also made her way deeper into the crowded party. Things didn't get much warmer between the two brothers after that. Bali tried to send a gift to Kjartan from his portion of the treasure. Three horses, a stallion and two mares for Kjartan's farm. But they were returned with a message that Kjartan had no need for anything of Bali's. And when Bali wanted to speak with Kjartan, he found that the man had left to winter in the north of Iceland. He wouldn't be back until spring. When he returned, he and Hrefna were married. Along with the spring came the seasonal feast of Olaf Peacock in Osvif. This time it was to be at Olaf's, and it would last an entire week. Bali entered the longhouse to an argument. Guthrun stood at the edge of the room, opposite Hrefna. Olaf was in the middle, directing the seating chart. Kjartan was berating him. Hrefna, and only Hrefna, would have the place of honor. Olaf Peacock sighed. That was only going to cause problems, because that was... He looked at Guthrun. That seat was already taken. Kjartan turned to Guthrun. No offense, but this was his father's house. He was the firstborn, and his wife should be in the seat of honor. Not some... He spun to face Bali. Not some, uh, what is it, cousin? Second cousin, is it? Foster brother, Olaf Peacock corrected. Oh, right, because you were loved more by your father that you took on Bali as a consolation for inheriting the estate. Got it. Hey, Bali, where's your dad? Last I heard, he left the island in shame after trying to steal some land or something and ended up in, what was it, Britain? Bummer. Olaf held up a hand to silence the talk before his shoulders slumped. As coarse as Kjartan was in making his point, he did have one. Hrefna would sit in the seat of honor. Olaf turned to Guthrun. I'm sorry, dear. Guthrun looked to Bali to say something, say anything, but the man seemed to sink deeper into the shadows without even moving. Guthrun rolled her eyes and stormed from the room. The feast, already off to an inauspicious start, did not go well. Kjartan's sword, named King's Gift because it was, self-explanatorily, a gift from King Olaf, went missing. There was never any serious suspicion of Bali. That fell on Guthrun's brothers. Angry about the snub of their sister, the sword was recovered because there was enough snow that they could easily track the footprints to the river. But when the headdress went missing later on that week, there was no word as to what happened with that. Everyone suspected that it was one of Guthrun's brothers, burning it on her orders, and it didn't help that. Allegedly, upon learning of the theft, Guthrun's response was something along the lines of, ah, curious how something could be stolen from someone when it didn't belong to her in the first place. Bali and Kjartan hardly had any more contact the rest of the year. The men who had once been so close that they spent every moment together and would even die for one another now barely knew each other at all. Then, at Christmas time, Kjartan came for a visit. There were 60 men in all, and at that time, outhouses were all the rage. I mean, 
if you have the technology to avoid going in a hole connected to your primary living space, eh, you do it. It's good stuff. Well, one night at Bali's farm, when he and Guthrun had her brothers over and all their families, one of the men went outside to go to the bathroom. It was a frigid night, but the more immediate needs of his bladder outweighed his preference for warmth. So he threw on a cloak, left the ruckus of the party, and made his way out into the snow. Outside, in the glow of the moon, he saw a figure sitting a few feet from the house. The brother nodded to the stranger and kept walking, but when he tried to pass, he was stopped by a sword, not the point or even the blade. It was the flat edge. The brother looked down at the stranger, who only shook his head. The brother pointed to the outhouse. He really had to go, but the stranger insisted, pressing harder with the sword blockade until the brother, gritting his teeth, stepped back. The stranger pointed at the house. Go in there. You go in there. The brother scoffed. He could not be serious. But the sword rose until it was now at the man's throat. The stranger wasn't kidding. He told the brother to look at the forest. What did he see? The brother looked out. And in the forest, campfires came to life. Some sputtered. Some roared. There were men in the forest. That's right, the stranger said. Get back inside. The man's bladder called to him, but his will to survive cried louder, and so the brother rushed back inside, as he was told. In the longhouse, the music died. The door opened, and Bali stormed out, demanding to know what was going on, but the arrow that lodged in the snow at his feet kept him from going any farther. Two more, thudding into the door behind him, on either side of his head, drove the stranger's point home. They could kill him if they wanted to. But for right now, he was to go back inside and stay there. Bali swallowed hard, nodded, and rushed inside. The people huddled in the longhouse that night, wondering when the attack would come, but it never did. Bali dared to peek outside the next morning, but the men were still there. He started to open the door, but yet another arrow found it, and he closed it again. Amid hushed demands to know what they wanted, Bali sunk back into the house. What they wanted, it turned out, was humiliation. No one in Bali's family, or extended family, was harmed in any way. They had enough food stores to last the three days they were mildly besieged in their home, but what they didn't have were bathrooms. That was the point. Sure, they all tried to pick corners, but when enough people pick enough corners, well, you just have human filth everywhere. When at last the strangers left, the interior smells already beginning to radiate out into the snow, Bali emerged. He knew two things. One, that this was Kjartan's doing. And two, he just had the worst Christmas ever. He needs to answer for this. He put the lives of my children in danger. The life of your child. Her hands found her abdomen. Bali shook his head. No one's lives were in danger. It was a prank. Nothing more. It had gone a little far, but no one was hurt. If Bali escalated from here, he would be responsible for the slugfest of revenge that followed. At this, Guthrun rose. If he couldn't see that revenge was the outcome the day they got married, then he was as stupid as he was blind. But maybe he was blind, 
if he didn't see the nothing that was going on between Kjartan and the Norwegian princess. Bali yelled briefly at the ceiling. How long was she going to keep throwing mistakes back in his face? Oh, toughen up, Guthrun sneered. She had to look her mistakes in the face every morning. While Guthrun was leaving the room completely on fire after going scorched earth on Bali, on another part of the island, Kjartan was taking off his cloak and laughing with his men about the rivers of human waste Bali was forced to wash from his house. Hrefna, his wife, who was also pregnant, cleared her throat. Kjartan stopped. Hey, what's up? She smiled. So, Kjartan had just returned from the north? From visiting Bali? <laughs> Kjartan laughed. Visiting was a generous term, but yeah. Hrefna remained silent. Looking at the ground, was she there? Kjartan nodded. Guthrun? Probably. He didn't see her, though. Hrefna mumbled something about that not being what she heard. She'd actually heard from the servants that Guthrum was wearing the headdress. Her headdress. And they said it looked beautiful. Kjartan's good mood flowed away, like so many rivers of human feces in Bali's house. He barked that Guthrun didn't need the headdress to look beautiful. Is that what she wanted him to say? Tears welled in Hrefna's eyes. Kjartan shook his head as he put his cloak back on. He was going out. Oh, and when it came to Guthrun... Hrefna might not want to mention her name again and invite the comparison because she might not like the way the scales tipped. With the flap of his cloak, Kjartan was gone. We'll see the outcome of Kjartan turning Bali's house into, well, an outhouse. You know, other than Bali and Guthrun probably having to move, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Even for Iceland, things were pretty chilly between Kjartan's family and Bali's. In a land where petty squabbles could grow into blood feuds that consumed generations, everyone saw what was coming between the former best friends and foster brothers. But no one felt the pressure more acutely than Thorarin, the man who lived between the brothers' farms. Seeing as he liked both families and also didn't want to be between the two swords when, not if, but when, things exploded into armed conflict, Thorarin announced that he wanted to cash out. He could really use the money anyway. Bali was the first on the scene. Kjartan might currently be Iceland's favorite son, but if Bali controlled twice his land and basically owned the district, well, he and Guthrun would be an institution, a dynasty. And Bali was successful. Of course, he moved so quickly that he didn't have a witness for the contract of sale. Still, what was a life-changing sum of money between friends? Well, Kjartan showed up soon after, and he did bring witnesses. He announced to the farmer that he intended to determine the course of this district. Thorarin threw up his hands. Sorry, it was nothing personal, but Bali had arrived first. They had an agreement. An agreement, but not a contract, Kjartan corrected. And it could hardly be an agreement if it wasn't witnessed. Kjartan snapped his fingers, and a bag of silver hit the table. He was more than happy to pay Bali's price, whatever Thorarin said it was. Kjartan was a trusting man, and he had cash in hand. Looking at the pile of silver, Thorarin bit his lip. He didn't like offending Bali, but Kjartan had an airtight legal defense. No one could fault him for selling to Kjartan, and no one did. Well, no one but Guthrun. Bali accepted the legal justification, Guthrun knew what this meant. That Kjartan's power would double, and theirs would diminish. She glared at her husband. But he threw up his hands. What did she want him to do? Kjartan had every right to the land. They messed up by acting too quickly. Guthrun shook her head. Kjartan can now act as boldly as he likes, because experience has shown him that no matter what offense he commits, no one will dare to make him stand accountable. Dishonoring your wife at the feast, trapping you and your family and forcing you to defecate in your own house, stealing this land right out from under you? There is another way to fix this. And a man with a spine would know what that is. The story says that Bali acted as if he had not heard, as was now his custom, and he left. A few weeks later, an interesting bit of news arrived. A woman, by the name of Thorhalla Chatterbox, unsurprisingly, had quite a bit to say. She had just been at Kjartan's farm. She was surprised that Guthrun and her brothers were cool with him passing so close to their land. Guthrun held up a hand to stop the talk in the house. She turned to Thorhalla. Speak, she commanded. <laughs> Thorhalla laughed nervously. Yeah, uh, day after tomorrow, he was heading out from his new farm, the one he bought from Thorarin, and he'd be heading to the coast, where some people owed him money. He would be heading out with people he would be basically alone. I mean, like one or two people with him, coming back. Guthrun sat back, deep in thought, when 
she realized that Thorhalla Chatterbox was still talking on about something, she dismissed the woman and went to her room. The day after next, Guthrun found her husband and brothers were gathered around the table. She laughed, seriously. They were here. Kjartan was basically walking through their backyard after everything, and yet they were just going to sit around at home. You know, they would have made a farmer a fine group of daughters. Now, personally, I think if you're going to try to insult someone by calling them a woman, that says more about you than anything. But since this was 11th century Iceland, that comment pressed all the buttons that it needed to. In moments, the brothers were shouting, axes in hand. While the men were preparing for an ambush, Guthrun saw her husband, Bali, sitting at the table, still staring into his drink. She took a seat next to him. Wasn't he going to go with his kinsmen and settle these insults against their family? Bali repeated that word. Kinsman, Olaf Peacock, Kjartan's father, had raised him. No matter their past, Kjartan was his foster brother. Guthrun frowned and patted him on the back. She understood. He wanted to please everyone. But he wasn't fortunate enough for that. So she would tell him exactly what this meant. If he failed to go along with her brothers, this would be the end of their life together. A shattered look met Guthrun's, and she nodded. Yeah, look, this wasn't his fault. Kjartan's insults against the family were too much, and she needed to know that she could be with someone who would defend them. She embraced her husband again. This wasn't his fault. It was Kjartan's. Kjartan had started it. She was simply asking Bali to end it. Bali finished the remainder of his drink and stood. He didn't say a word, as was his custom, but inside, he was making all the justifications he needed to, to end this. He couldn't lose her. She was everything to him. And he'd given up everything for her, too. His family, his brother. There was no other way. He met the men waiting outside. And together, they rode to a narrow spot in the road where they planned to set up the ambush. Bali watched as the dot approached from far off. Come on, come on, you idiot. Look, here I am, right here. After a night spent on the hillside, waiting, Bali's resolve had melted. What was he doing out here? Kjartan was his brother, his best friend. There was a way out of this without bloodshed. There had to be. Because a world without Kjartan was one in which he didn't want to live. The problem was the other five Icelandic warriors bent on slaking their bloodlust. So Bali set himself up on the north hill face where anyone approaching would be able to see him. He would warn his brother that the men were waiting to kill him in true Bali fashion by saying nothing and waiting for Kjartan to pick up the slack. Unfortunately, Bali's gambit was as obvious as it was ineffective. He felt cold steel on his neck and the rough hands of two of his brothers-in-law as they picked him up and bound him. Guthrun told us to watch out for you, they said. Tightening the ropes and gagging him, they left him by a tree. He was hidden but he was overlooking the site of the ambush. Kjartan rode with two men, a man named An and Thorarin, the man who sold the farm. When Kjartan approached, 
he stopped at the spot of the ambush, looking to the trees. We saw you, he yelled to the Osfif's sons hiding among the trees. When no one answered, he gripped his spear and threw it. It found a scream, Thorkel Osfif's son's shield, and tore into his arm. On that cue, the other brothers yelled and charged from the trees. The battle had begun. Hearing the screaming and clashing of swords, Bali worked at his own ropes, loosening Legbiter. Remember, Legbiter was the sword that Giermund had in the first episode of the series. The cursed sword. Anyway, Bali loosened his sword enough to reveal the blade and sawed through the ropes around his hands. Once through, he untied the ropes at his legs and jumped to his feet. He spotted Kjartan standing on his own sword to straighten it out, as he had just hit one of the Osfif's sons so hard that it bent the blade. Now, the pretty key part about an ambush is, you know, the ambush. So if someone sees you coming from an actual mile away, you've just lost your advantage. In the case of the sons of Osfif, they had also lost an arm, most of a leg, and a life among them. Still, the brothers had managed to take out one of Kjartan's friends, and so they pressed on, while An sat there against a tree trunk, with his entrails on the ground. But, even though they had Kjartan backed up to a stone, they were only barely holding him there. The man was born about 200 years too late, because Kjartan relished the fight. That was, until he found a familiar face, and his smile faded. Bali, you're going to have to do something other than just stand there, brother. Why did you leave home if you were just going to watch? Don't you want to see what Legbiter can do? Kjartan urged, quite serious now. Ospak, Bali's brother-in-law, turned with excitement. Bali, he could end this now. Kill Kjartan. Bali hesitated, then froze. He saw Kjartan nod. The smile that faded when Kjartan saw him it wasn't only because the person he loved most in the world had been in on an assassination plot against him. It was because, when Bali cut his ropes, that assassination plot became successful. Ospak could see Bali pulling a Bali and standing there doing nothing. He called out. If Bali didn't help out, if he let Kjartan escape, there will be no place for the man to hide. They defended three families today and Kjartan would say anything to live. But this wouldn't go unanswered. If Kjartan was tough on his own in the forest, how would he be at the head of his angry kinsmen? What would this mean for Bali's own children? Was Bali with them, or was he on his own? Bali knew his wife, right? If they let Kjartan escape, they would never stop hunting Bali. He swallowed hard, and realized that he should have stayed bound. He hadn't thought this through. That was always Kjartan's job. Kjartan threw down his sword and told the Osfif's sons to back up. This is an evil deed, brother, but I'd rather you cause my death than I cause yours, he said. The brothers sneered and started to close in on Kjartan. His head hung low. Bali looked around. There was no way out of this. He would give his brother a good death. And with that, Bali plunged Legbiter deep into Kjartan's chest. At that moment, as Kjartan looked into Bali's eyes as he died, it all seemed so meaningless. All the feuding, all the insults, Guthra, Norway, everything that had come between them since they left on that fateful journey. He realized now 
that the only thing he ever wanted was his brother. And now, Kierton was forever beyond his reach. Bali took Kierton into his arms and held the man, his friend, his brother, as he died. Guthrun's brothers were exiled from Iceland for the murder of Kjartan. They were declared outlaws, and they were allowed safe passage from Iceland, but they would forever be outside the protection of the law in Iceland. If they returned, they could legally be hunted and killed. Olaf Peacock, the son of Melkorka the Irish princess and Hoskold, was broken on that day. He wasn't out for vengeance. He just wanted this to be over. He had loved Bali like a son. In his mind, Bali was his son, and he didn't want to lose another. He permitted Bali to pay the Ware Guild, the man price, as it was called, to compensate the family, and Bali was allowed to remain in Iceland. He was one of Olaf's kinsmen, after all. But without Kjartan to oppose him, and Olaf Peacock in de facto retirement, no one stopped Bali, Guthrun, and the remaining Osvif sons as they grew in power and wealth. The memory of their feud fading for all but Bali. Bali and Guthrun continued on, she trusting him after that day, or rather trusting that she could completely control him. Bali didn't care though. He was like half a man after he killed Kjartan. His days were spent in sighs and far off glances. He wasn't living anymore. He was waiting. Olaf died three years after his firstborn. He never really recovered. His wife, Thorgerd, was forever filled with venom from that day forward, cursing Bali and the day they agreed to take him in. The gregarious Olaf not only never spoke to Bali again after the trial, but he didn't speak much to anyone. He died a broken man. At last, the day Bali was waiting for arrived. He was out visiting one of his shielings, or a cottage in a far-off place. This was one at the edge of the forest, where his men made hay for the estate. Guthrun had come with him. It had been a few years, but there was talk of retribution against the Osvif sons after the death of Olaf Peacock. Guthrun was pregnant again, this time with their second child. And this time, Guthrun wanted to stay at Bali's side. She woke up that morning to Bali sitting on the edge of the bed, looking out along the windswept fields. Guthrun rose. Why weren't the men working? Bali smiled and stroked her hair. He told her that he'd sent them home. Today's the day. Guthrun was confused. What day? Bali informed her that a shepherd had seen ten men riding this morning. It was the Olafsons. They had finally come for him. He had been keeping watch. They were in the forest now, but nowhere else. He had a horse waiting for Guthrun. She would need to leave soon if she were to escape. Guthrun shook her head. No, she would see this through with him. At her words, Bali gently took her chin and brought her face up until she was looking him in the eyes. He should have stood up to her years ago, but he intended on having his way now. Leave, he commanded. 
His eyes revealed that he would not waver on this one, not this time. The couple took a long last look at one another. Even with all the painful things that had happened between them, all the things that were broken that could never be repaired, and the lives that had ended because of their marriage, it was still heartbreaking to say goodbye. Guthrun embraced her husband, and Bali only nodded. He was Bali until the very end. After Guthrun left, Bali took up his shield and his sword, Legbiter, the one that never failed him. He took a deep breath and said a quick prayer. That day, he was grateful for two things. One, that Olaf wouldn't see any more of his sons die. And two, that Bali would get to see Kjartan once again. Guthrun ran to the horse in the field. The sounds of a door splintering, clashing weapons, and a scream chasing at her heels. Then a shout. A third cry rang out across the moors. That one she recognized. It was over. Guthrun gripped the saddle, but didn't mount the waiting horse. The wind lashed her hair and dress as she stepped away and began walking back to the shielding. The men readied their weapons at the sight of a figure approaching, and then relaxed. It was an unarmed, unarmored, pregnant woman. Guthrun looked to the floor of the cabin. Two were dead. Legbiter had cut one of them from the shoulder to his chest, killing him instantly. Another's arm dangled from a bloody shoulder. Helgi stood over Bali, his body and head in two different places, and Helgi's blade still wet with Bali's blood. And Guthrun? Guthrun smiled. The men grimaced. That was weird, like coldly weird, even for an Icelandic blood feud. Helgi decided that he would wipe that smile away by wiping her husband's blood on her dress. But Guthrun only stood, saying nothing. After the men left with their dead, Guthrun gathered her husband's body and wrapped it, returning later with others to bury it. The other brothers thought that that was a bit cold of Helgi to wipe a murdered husband's blood on the dress of his pregnant wife, but Helgi, remembering Guthrun's cold smile, said that he feared his own death was under the hem of that shawl. And he wasn't wrong. Guthrun had gone back for one reason, to see who had taken part in her husband's death, to see who needed to pay. Helgi was, of course, no surprise there. And so when Bali Jr., the unborn child present when Bali died, turned 12, she showed Bali Jr. and his brother their father's bloody garments and informed them of what they must do, which is such a healthy thing to put on a 12-year-old. It was Bali Jr., along with a coalition of other family allies, who dealt the death blow against Helgi with his father's sword, Legbiter. The issue of revenge being settled, Guthrun then married her fourth and final time, this time to a rich man who would be a great chieftain. And he was. He funded Bali Jr.'s trips to Norway to make money, and Bali Bolison ended up in Constantinople, where he joined the elite Varangian Guard, the personal bodyguards of the Byzantine emperors. When he returned home after many years, he found that his stepfather, Thorkel, Guthrun's fourth husband, had died, true to Guthrun's dreams. When she was but a little girl, he had drowned in Bridefjord. 
The spring before he died, Thorkel had dreamt he had such a long beard that it grew from his house and dipped into the fjord. He believed that this meant he would soon own all of that land, but Guthrun knew differently, that his beard was meant to be submerged in the fjord. On the night that he died, Guthrun had seen him return with his men, clothes dripping, and walk into a church. She had rushed and followed Thorkel inside, only to find the church completely empty, his body washed ashore the following morning. After that, Guthrun became a nun, and her son often walked with her along the streets. She was quieter now. The forceful person who had once decided the deaths of others now counted down the days until her own. An old woman, she spent many hours studying the Bible, reportedly becoming the first Icelandic woman to learn all of the Psalms. They only knew the kind old nun before them. But Bali Jr. knew, and as he walked with his mother one day, he asked her, Now, after everything, which man did you love most? Guthrun shuffled along, eyes focused on a distant past. Thorkel was the most powerful, Bali the most valiant, handsome Thord was the wisest, but she had nothing good to say about the guy with the nipples, so she would say nothing at all. Bali Jr. pressed further. She hadn't answered the question. They were all long gone, and she wasn't married to anyone any longer. There was no use in concealing it. Guthrun looked at her son. It was true. After everything, she was all that remained. Tears welled in the wrinkles of her eyes as she pulled Bali Jr. aside. Though I treated him worst, I loved him best. Her son smiled, and he understood. Despite her years, Guthrun continued living for a long time. She outlived every one of her generation. This woman, once one of the most powerful leaders of the island, whose name and beauty were known across the world, had become a simple old lady, praying anonymously in the pews. I like to think that this was her penance. She lived when everyone else had died. She existed in obscurity, though power had been so important to her. She was now alone, looking back on a life defined by her companions. And yet, she always studied, feeling a great weight for what she had done. Eventually, she went blind. But on the night of her death, I like to think that, when she closed her eyes, she opened them in the Iceland of her youth. Her children were there, unmarred by the violence that plagued their family. Her father was there, enjoying a feast with his old friend, Olaf, the kind and happy man he had once been and would always be now. She would pass her brothers on the way out of the house as she ran in the clear, cold air. As she turned the corner, she would see them sitting in the hot springs, waiting for her. Kjartan and Bali, the scars of their life gone, sitting together as they always had, as they always should have been. They had been waiting for her for years. Nearly everyone was there now. It was all over, all forgiven. She would settle down in the warmth of the hot springs and laugh as she had in her youth with her two best friends in all the world. 
that night, Guthrun passed silently in the shadows, a soft smile across her face. going to stick with me for a while. It's such a good story and I hope you liked it too. Unsurprisingly, the actual saga is so much longer. If you like some pretty hefty digressions, and also maybe ghost trolls, I linked the original in the show notes and on the website. Next week we'll see why your mom might just know best. If you like the show and want to get more, we have a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a reverse wall clock, you can get bonus episodes and ad-free versions of the show that won't Wonka-style confuse your kid when you say, go counterclockwise and point to a backwards clock. Looking for other support options? We also have a little merch shop full of t-shirts, stickers, posters, and other stuff. For more info on the membership or to access the shop, you can find both in the show notes or at mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is Orthrus from Greek mythology. Orthrus is the two-headed older brother of Cerberus, the three-headed guard dog of Hades. Orthrus has only two heads, but despite having 33% fewer eyes than his little brother, he also found his way into the security field. His employer? Garion, a guy with three heads, three bodies, and one waist. And also maybe wings? What a looker. Sources are fuzzy, but what he definitely has is cattle really good cattle, like the best cattle ever. And what do amazing cattle need? Clearly a magical guard dog to keep them safe. Cerberus was busy, he had the big job, so Orthrus was the man, or dog, for the job. Now, looking at Orthrus and Cerberus, you might be tempted to think you know something about their family. Sure, the number of heads vary, you might say, but this is a family of dogs. Well, unfortunately, you would be wrong. Orthrus's parents are decidedly not dogs. They're the mom and dad of all monsters, the first couple of everything that went bump in the ancient night. Orthrus's mother, Echidna, is a snake-woman hybrid. Their dad is Typhon, described as the monstrous serpent giant. I'm not sure how the Punnett square of his family works, but from these two snaky parents came two dogs, a hydra, a chimera, a sphinx, a lion, two dragons, an eagle, a pig, and Scylla, the sea monster whose BFF is a maelstrom. If Hercules fought it, it's probably part of this bizarre household. Weird vibe at the family reunion, right? Anyway, Orthrus broke away from his monstrous family and landed a good job that didn't involve waylaying travelers, rampaging through the countryside, or eating anyone's liver. Instead, he found work on the mythical island of Erythia, a place so mythical that even an otherwise mythical guy, like Hercules, had a rough time getting there which he really needed to do, because the tenth of his twelve labors was obtaining those majestic cattle for his distinctly non-majestic cousin, King Eurystheus. When Hercules arrived on the scene, an intruder in a peaceful place, Orthrus had one job to do, protect those cattle. And guys, he tried. He tried so hard. Orthrus was there, barking off his two heads at the hero in the golden vessel, but Hercules was not about to let anything stand in the way of his labor. So, with one blow from his club, he killed Orthrus. One source describes Orthrus as the, quote, most murderous hound. Really? How about 
dog doing his job to protect his master's property from a thief. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's kind of what Hercules was. So, what makes a monster? Their actions, looking at you, Zeus, maybe their divergence from humanity, their ability to reason. Here, it seems to come down to the idea that a monster is something a hero fights against. The day before Hercules came to town, Orthrus, despite his sketchy parents, was just a good boy, guarding those fabulous cattle. But Hercules is the story's hero, and when Orthrus doing his job stands against that, well, a monster is born. And then immediately hit on the head with a club. That's it for today. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme music is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Today's Creature of the Week was written by Trisha Harris Evanson. There are links to even more music, membership, and the shop in the show notes. All right, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.